0: Pastor John Christopherson will deliver this morning's sermon. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our sin, who heals all our disease, who redeems and sets us free from the pit. Dear family and friends of First Lutheran Church, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. There's perhaps no greater experience in our lives than forgiveness. By its wondrous reconciling power, forgiveness brings healing back to situations of brokenness. Broken marriages, broken families, broken friendships... Forgiveness also brings wholeness back to our divided selves, selves that become divided by anxiety, by anger, guilt, or shame. And yes, forgiveness especially brings freedom from bondage to sin that weighs heavy like timber upon our human soul. It does so because it's a word that ultimately has its source in God. As the English poet Alexander Pope observed, to err is human, but to forgive is divine. And so it is today we are called by the gospel to follow this divine lead of forgiveness. We are called by Christ's spirit to open ourselves, given ears to hear this wondrously healing and freeing word of God and then to move out into the world and to share it with those who are dying to hear it. Good old Peter. Good old honest, impetuous, intrepid Peter. How perfectly does he ask those embarrassingly blunt questions? Questions that get right to the heart of things. The context for our text today is that Peter has just been given the power of the keys. That is, the power to unlock the doors of sin and death by speaking God's word of forgiveness in Jesus' name. He's probably saying to himself, but hey, I mean, there's got to be a limit here. Let's not be just too rash and just willy-nilly. So here comes his million dollar question. Lord, how often shall my Christian brother or sister sin against me, and I forgive them? As many as seven times? Now Peter is not simply pulling numbers out of thin air here. It was rabbinic teaching in his time based on biblical texts such as the first couple chapters in Amos that God's forgiveness extends to us three times. And since humans can never outdo God, of course, and there's justification, we likewise should give others a fair, three strikes, you're out. So Peter thought, he was being pretty gracious here, taking the rabbinic number of three, multiplying it by two, and adding just one extra dash for good measure. Coming up with, voila, seven. How quickly the open house of God's grace becomes a lockdown of the law, even by the best of human intent. Well, in all of his blessed bluntness and calculus, Peter speaks for all of us in his question that he brings before Jesus. And Jesus knew full well how naturally it comes to us not to forgive, wanting to remain in control, to manipulate the guilt of another and thus to be very interested in coming to that point, that point where God will approve of our not forgiving another. No longer. But Peter's suggestion of seven times, if you think about it, isn't really as gracious as it might seem. For deep down, it reveals the natural proclivity in each of us to cut off that flow of forgiveness after a designated time. For example, if you do that one more time, hey, Buster, that's your last chance. Or, are you kidding me? After what he did to me, he can go straight to Sioux City or someplace else. But Jesus' answer, not seven, but 70 times seven, does not simply lengthen the time of having to forgive, as if 490 is the cutoff point. Rather, Jesus stands Peter's question on its head. He answers Peter and us in such a way that the premise that the question is based upon is wrong. Forgiveness is not some mathematical formula. For God's forgiveness never ends. Forgiveness never ends because its wellsprings are in God. It never ends because we're never without debt to God for the grace he gives us day after day after day. This is why we begin each worship service with the order of confession and forgiveness. And this is why in 1520, Martin Luther gave emphasis to how important this gift of forgiveness is by saying, We have no greater gift within our community in Christ, and that is the gift of forgiveness. He then goes on to write, Bringing forgiveness and the gospel into oneness, where he asks, what is the difference between saying, thy sins are forgiven thee, and preaching the gospel? Forgiveness received is forgiveness given without ceasing. And so the essential point of Jesus' parable comes to us in the moment when the first servant hears his master making this amazing declaration. I release you from all your sins. All 10,000 talents. Now in Jesus' day, one talent was equivalent to 15 years of work. Or in today's economy, it would be over a trillion dollars. I mean, the servant pleads, have patience, I'll pay back everything. How absurd, and yet even how much more absurd and amazing, this forgiving of debt by the master, by the king. Years ago, one of my honor students at Montana State, Luther Johnson, a PhD student in math, put it this way for me. He said, John, think of a person putting one dollar bill in your hand every second, hour after hour, after day, after day, after week, the distribution never missing a beat. How long does it take to reach 10,000 talents or about a trillion dollars? Well, he said, a million takes two years. A billion takes 32 years. One trillion takes 32,000 years. So, a dollar per second for 32,000 years? I mean, this guy thinks he can pay that off? How many lives does he think he has? You see, not even the master's forgiveness of this unfathomable debt is enough. We still keep needling, never good enough, still something more. I need to fix it. I need to have the last word. Jesus' parable calls us to attend to this incredible gift of God's forgiveness. But we, like the servant, miss it, going right past it, refusing to forgive a fellow servant 20 bucks. Amazing grace? Saved a wretch, we say? Meh. You see, to understand forgiveness implies an admission of our sinfulness, that we are not our own. Even in our new and improved hymnal liturgies, we try to soften the bondage we're in by using terms like mm, capture. Like capture the flag? Some kind of game? The wages of sin, writes Paul in Romans 6, is what? Death. But the old tempter, the prince of lies, the id, the lord of the flies, keeps pumping our pride. Die? You will not die. But Jesus speaks truth to lies. Humility to pride, forgiveness to sin at the close of this parable that God holds our debts against us if we do not forgive our debtors. So why this stern word? It's because God will not have us living with hardened hearts. He'll not do nothing while we walk right by his amazing mercy for us, never letting the incredible free news that is the gospel take hold of us. He'll not let us treat the hardening of our spiritual arteries. The thrombosis of the soul continue to do damage. And so God is stirred to the depths of his being by the spectacle of people, forgiven so much but refusing to be channels of that forgiveness that God makes possible every second of every day Interestingly, as Luther writes in The Bondage of the Will, he says, God never takes a holiday. Now, the fullness of God's wrath for sin finally falls upon not us, because it would utterly and forever annihilate us. Rather, it falls ultimately upon the one who's telling us this parable of the unforgiving servant. It's Jesus himself who felt the full impact of the Father's reaction to trillion-dollar debtors being hard-hearted to $20 debtors. Jesus went to the cross for us. The unpayable debt, that incredible weight, we can only begin to feel as we truly confess we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. The debt's paid, my friends, It's paid in full. The words, you're forgiven, Father, forgive them, has Christ's body and blood all over it and within it. He endorses it with his signature of death and resurrection. And so, Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his Son to die for us. And by his death, has forgiven us all our sins. This is Christ's word for you. Again, this day, live and share this truth. Closing story. A true story from a cherished mentor in the faith, the late Dr. Mark Chursted of Augustana. One evening, as I was leaving a good Sam home in Sioux Falls, Mark told me, I looked down the hall of the 100 Wing, and there was something that just captured my curiosity. Actually, I'm just nosy, said Mark, but I like to call it curiosity. He continued. There outside the room of a 94-year-old resident was something that rather fascinated me, for there lived an old gentleman who was ravaged by disease. He should have died months ago, but somehow he couldn't. It was as though there was some kind of civil war going on inside himself. His life was not yet complete, something left unfinished, and he couldn't die. All he could do was lie there and suffer. I was especially curious, said Mark, because I saw outside his room his son visiting with an old nurse's aide. Now, it was strange because the father and son had had a terrible falling out years before and hadn't spoken a word to each other for many years. I knew this, said Mark, and so I was surprised that he was even there. I couldn't hear what was going on, but from a distance, I watched an unfolding story of forgiveness and God's amazing grace. The marvelous nurse, my favorite, said something to the son, he looked back at her almost incredulously like, are you, are you sure it's okay? And she smiled at him, putting her arm around him so close, her big heart that had been filled with wisdom over the years, knowing the amazing freeing power of God's forgiveness. And then like a shawl, she draped that heart of wisdom over him and then led him into his father's room. Well, it was none of my business, but I was curious, said Mark. So I went down the end of the hall, leaned against the door jamb, and this is what I saw. The light from the hall drifted into the room and captured the old sun in a soft glow. He'd taken off his suit coat, folded it neatly, and placed it on the back of a chair. He then sat on the chair and took off his shoes And then, when he had them neatly placed on the chair, he put his hands on his knees, and he grunted a bit as he stood up. You know, said Mark, when your dad's 94 years old, you're no spring chicken either. And so he pushed himself up, and I saw old son walk over to the bed of his old dad, and I saw old son crawl up onto the bed of his old dad, And I saw old son wrap his arms around his old dad and heard him say gently, Dad, I'm sorry, I really do love you. And then in the silent, healing, freeing balm of forgiveness, I saw old dad become as soft and peaceful as a nursing newborn child. And I saw old dad die in peace in the arms of his old son. And so we pray, our Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Amen.